this is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, <laughs> to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to vote. Welcome to another brand new edition of the Municipals. I'm Matthew. And I'm Philip. And Philip, before we uh, introduce our guest, <laughs> I, I just, and I'm going to, uh, I would like you to do that. Uh, I just want to uh, send a quick shout out to uh, my brother-in-law. We had a personal family tragedy this past weekend um, with our family back in North Carolina. So my thoughts and prayers are, are um, I'm sending them out to them. I'm not really going to get into what happened. Um, it's private, but my thoughts and prayers are, are with the family. All right. Well, I guess uh, my new friend, mayoral candidate, Rob Davis, who I've learned I'm not allowed to call Mr. Davis, as that is his father. My new friend, Rob. There you go. Welcome to the well, show. Here. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, you guys. Absolutely. You know, uh, we're on the election path. We're on the campaign trail, as they say. Excellent. And, and you are the first stop. And we... Uh, so we want to hear about your your plan, your policies. Uh, I'm going to let you do that now, and then we'll jump in with questions as we go along. Go ahead. Right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And 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 I want to say uh, I'm a big fan of uh, citizen um, journalism. I'm a big fan of podcasts. And anytime uh, taxpayers, residents, voters um, take it upon themselves to get informed and then do something really unique. Um, which is uh, amplify uh, their access and leverage it to allow their neighbors and friends and family members and other taxpayers to hear about what's going on. I think it's a great thing. So first of all, thank you for your service in, in this matter. Um, let's start from the beginning. I was, uh, I'm was i a born and raised Torontonian. I uh, had the benefit of, of, uh, of uh, being raised by my mother, who was a, a tremendous influence on my life, um, but who was herself always dedicated to to public service, always imbued me with the sense of um, that it's important to, to you know, whether it's uh, through the church or through um, community organizations to give back. So uh, back in 1991, I did something which was unusual. I was a 26-year-old, uh, and I registered to run for city councillor in the old city of York. Uh, by the time the election came around, I was 27. I got elected. I was one of Ontario's youngest elected officials and then ran for re-election and got elected. Uh, amalgamation happened in 1997, um, and I won, uh, again, against all odds. Um, but in the time that I was on council, I was very much a law and order and fiscal conservative. I uh, had a neighborhood that suffered from some security issues, there was drug dealing going on, there were shootings from time to time. So I really focused my attention on those matters. And many of them have now come back to sort of haunt the city of Toronto. And my expertise uh, was as a, as, a, as a politician, as a city councillor, really centered around community safety. Um, and I, you know, I did all sorts of very unique things. We had uh, uh, what we called our little crime committee. We would get together multidiscipline 
enforcement uh, officers uh, to look at enforcing uh, the rules in order to help the police um, fight crime in neighborhoods. I put in place Toronto's first ever gun buyback program, which if you're an American listening, I know is somewhat maybe more controversial than it is here. Uh, but unlike um, in the United States, our, our gun buyback programs are run a little differently. There's a gun amnesty um, and an opportunity to give a gun owner voluntarily um, some money if they want to turn their, their firearms in, or they can turn them in and not get paid. But that policy has seen um, just under 10,000 guns surrendered over the past 20 years. And it's a policy that I implemented the first ever in Canada. Uh, and I'm proud of it. And, and partly because um, not, and people don't, I, I want to say this just to be very candid, you know, not all gun violence is gang violence. So a lot of people who are critics of the idea say, well, it doesn't help at all. Well, I, I can tell you, having been the the uh, friend of um, of two people who killed themselves by using their family's firearm, um, you know, if their parents could turn back the clock, they probably would have surrendered those firearms and be happy to have their their sons alive and well and 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 be bouncing their grandchildren on their knee. So. I like to take down the, the, the temperature on some of the rhetoric around guns. Uh, I want us to have an adult conversation around community safety. Um, but more importantly, or at least what really got my goat was this sign behind me, which is, um, I know it's an audio uh, podcast, but I have a, a Dundas Street West sign. So in the city of Toronto, um, during the uh, Black Lives Matter, um, George Floyd um, sort of zeitgeist, City Council made a decision to research uh, the names of streets in Toronto, and many of them are named after people who may have had um, a dubious past. Um, you know, some were slave owners, some were legislators who probably uh, voted against abol abolishing slavery. Um, and so there was an attempt, I think, to try to cleanse the city of these names, but the price tag the price tag for uh, changing 60 streets was $21 million. And, and the problem is it's never uh, city council and city staff very rarely accurately predict the cost of these things. So I want to, I care more about the homeless person who lives on Dundas street than changing the name of Dundas street. And so um, you asked me a question. I've, I'm giving you like a long diatribe. Let me, let me make it simple. I want to stop wasteful spending. I want us to stop looking at misguided priorities. And I want to focus on the things that are going to make a difference and create a, a safer communities. I, I want to have Toronto be a clean place. And I also want us to be a kinder place because we've seen what's happened with homeless people in our subway systems because they have no place to go. They're now in conflict with uh, people who are on their way to work, on their way to school, uh, going out uh, for the night. And it's it's it means we have a less safe community. So absolutely I'll, I'll cut it there and let, and let you ask me questions. I'll, well, I'll take a breath. I'll take a breath. Well, you, you brought up wasteful spending and, and I'm just wondering, um, is part of the conversation looking at the police budget? And I don't mean. My my my, my co-host, Philip, uh, supports <laughs> supports a, a, a movement that is slanted towards defund the police, but I don't. Right. However, the one thing that Philip and I both agree on is that 
the police budget is way too high. And I've been doing some research. <clears throat> okay. Please tell and me. And from what I found, and again, I, I'm wrong often, but this time I don't think I'm wrong. Um, what I found is um, if you take a look at the sunshine list, you have regular officers clocking in more than a hundred. There was one that was on the top 10 this year that was just released. He's a regular uh, um, constable. Or no, he's a sergeant, which still means he's a street cop. <coughs> and he clocked in at 300 and something thousand dollars. Right. 300. Yeah. So the, what I what I want to know is if the overtime the police are engaging in is it is it mandatory? If we cut it so that the police cannot um, indulge in overtime, then we can hire more officers while still uh, uh, the police budget goes down. Because I think even if we come at it from different ways, I think we can, my roundabout way of saying is that the police budget is too high. And right. I just, I'd love to get your thoughts and maybe Philip, you want to jump in too. I mean, I will say the way I phrase it to, uh, we had uh, Anthony Fury on uh, a couple weeks back and I, I phrased it. I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be known where I stand ideologically, which is that I do support defunding the police but when I ask you a question about like the police budget, I don't want you to think that I'm wanting you to jump on that defund bandwagon, especially right. because you you already identified yourself as like a, a a conservative kind of public safety, and a part of that right. conservatism in my mind is like fiscal conservatism. Yeah. And what I had said to what I had said to Anthony was, you know, it always feels like the police budget is is more sacred. Than other things like we're not allowed to uh look for efficiencies there where people will look for efficiencies it feels like anywhere but the police budget and i just right. i wonder if the police budget can be looked at in that sort of a critical lens right so so uh policing is unique as a, as a municipal service it's more unique it's the most unique service and it's it's unique for a number of reasons uh we have a thing called the police services board or the police services act and the act is such that politicians are not to uh, or not allowed to get involved in operational matters uh, so unlike you know uh, when we watch uh, maybe an american tv show or an american movie or we read the papers um, the mayor cannot direct the chief of police to do anything directly um, the services board sets up um uh policy and then um the chief determines the operational nature of that policy and what to do so so number one uh, i'm always going to follow the act number two if a chief of police asks for a budget in the name of public safety in ontario the chief has the right to appeal a budget decision of city council to a provincial body and it's a little known oh. fact. Has that has that happened before? It has happened before, um, not in Toronto, uh, but I know that I'm aware. Of, but I believe in other jurisdictions. So there, I'm going to actually, I'm going to look I'm, while I'm talking to you. Um, there is a there's an organization, and I just want to make sure I got it right. Amer Ontario has um, a, a, a tribunal, and I'm just I want to get the right name of it um, under the Police Services Act. Police Services Boards uh, 
have to be composed of a of a, a particular group, but it's the Ontario Civilian Police Commission. So it's a quasi judicial agency, and it has a mandate to, uh, and that mandate has to do with appeals. Um, they range issues from disciplinary penalties, uh, requests to abolish or amalgamate services, but they also um, have to have the right to uh, pass judgment over disputes between municipalities and the police services boards over budgets. So the the board could say, well, to the council, we, we need an extra $100 million. And if council wow. says, no, we're not going to give it to you, we don't agree, that we want to defund the police, the police services board can appeal to the Ontario Civilian Police Commission. And... So this is a this is a unique thing. So there's like a delicate balance and dance. Second aspects, and this is really important as well. When you have the police, do not have a union. They have an association. They have a professional association. They're not allowed to unionize, and because they're not allowed to unionize and they're not allowed to strike, uh, disputes around pay and benefits always go to arbitration. And it's as a general rule when the laborer or the uh, the um, bargaining unit that's not allowed to strike or has less power the arbitrator the arbitration board tends to side in favor of the party with fewer rights wow so so, so in this case because they can't unionize so they have the lesser rights they have fewer rights right? and so therefore they get there's a bias uh, rightly or wrongly, but mostly rightly, if you're going to take away my rights, then I have to get something for it. So they tend to, they tend to, you know, in wage negotiations, they tend to, or any other parts of the bargaining process, um, if it goes to arbitration, they tend to side on the side of the association. So it's complicated. And then it's complicated by, as an elected official, by public opinion. So I would say this, uh, I would always I will always pre uh, press upon the chief of police, the police services board to find efficiencies. But I will always also say this, that, um, and maybe defund the police um, movement. You know, the people in the defund the police movement are really smart because they've created a little bit of acrimony by using the name or using the phrase defund the police when we, we all know what they really mean is um, support funding for mental health and addiction, support funding for other uh, organizations that are going to do social good in the community. I, I'd like to think that we, we can do both, that we don't need to defund the police in order to fund those types of important initiatives. Um, I, I'd like to think that as we as we grow and progress as a society, we our understanding of mental health and addiction has grown. Um, and so even politicians who might be on the cutting edge of wanting to support those things are no longer alone. Um, they, they, they're listening to and hearing from colleagues on the right and the left talk about mental health and addiction. Um, and even the phrase mental health, it, it, it's words have a lot of power. And the phrase mental health has come to mean something different um, now than it did 20 or 30 years ago. So I'm not, I'm not trying to, again, obfuscate on the question. I, I just don't think it's necessary to take the money from police to find the money for mental health and addiction supports. So how would you find it? Would you create a, a tax levy? 
No, I would. Um, there's a couple of things. I think. I think first of all, um, so it, to, to understand mental health and addiction, you know, municipalities generally do not run hospitals, right? The, the mental health and addiction services really fall under the purview of the provincial government, um, and it's really about making sure that the provincial government steps up and properly funds those services. But you need to have a champion and you need to have somebody who's going to use all the levers, uh, push all the buttons, um, uh, put, put the pedal to the metal in, the, in that vehicle um, that's going to drive um, the province to want to actually do something. So I jokingly say to my team, I'm going to be Doug Ford's best friend and worst enemy, meaning I'm going to celebrate when he does great things for the city of Toronto, but I'm also going to take him to task when there's insufficient funding for the things that are important. But let me say this, if we're spending $21 million and people at home who are listening can't see me pointing to the Dundas Street <laughs> West sign that's on an easel behind me, if we spend $21 million changing street names, how can we go to the province and ask for hundreds of millions of dollars for mental health and addiction services when we're not being responsible? And, and we're not children, don't get me wrong, but I think if we are demonstrably managing the funds in an adult way and responsibly, then it's going to be more difficult for the province to shy away from its responsibility. The second part, and, and to me, this, this really matters, um, a large part of where we're at um, with mental health and addiction is due to the makers of opioids. It's the way in which they marketed drugs, the way in which they um, had doctors market those drugs to their patients, the way they, they lied. Um, and I would participate in, if not start, a lawsuit uh, against those opioid makers on behalf of the city. So even though we're not supposed to be spending money on all these things, every time somebody has an overdose and 911 is called, there's a cost to the city. Um, every time, right, the fire police show up, um, and, and I think it's important as a city, but we hold them to task. I agree. So, you know, Purdue Pharma, right? The Sackler family of Purdue Pharma, um, have been sued out the yin yang in the U S and not so much in Canada. Um, but you know, at one point the province of Ontario gave Purdue, um, a grant, you know, the same people who are responsible for filling our emergency rooms and our morgues, we're given a grant by the provincial government under the Kathleen Wynne, uh, Kathleen Wynne government. Um, can I ask, this is uh, moving more towards the sign issue. Can I ask, is it, I, I want to say this respectfully, but is it a minority of people that are, are jumping on the bandwagon to have the sign changed? Or is it, like a split 50 50 uh, group um i wouldn't know and, and i don't i i haven't really bothered to try to figure out whether i'm on the majority or minority side of this but what i do know is 21 million dollars so as a person you know the, i i jokingly say i have a face for radio um so for the people who are listening to your podcast they don't know that i'm black i'm you know african canadian or African-Caribbean, Canadian, um, 
I just know that if you want to decolonize Toronto or you want to find a way to reconcile um, with Canada's participation in our colonial past and slavery, changing, uh, giving consultants a lot of money and sign companies a lot of money to change the name of these streets is not the way to do it. Not one more black child will graduate from high school, university, from law school, from med school by changing the street name. And so to me, um, without sounding um, ungrateful for whatever person's idea was, the person who came up with the idea, you know, I'm sure they're well-intentioned, it, it, it's crumbs. You know, it's crumbs. Not only that, um, what was interesting was that nobody suggested changing the name of King or Queen Street in Toronto. Well, if all of these things were done in the name of the crown, um, you would think that they would consider that, but they didn't because they were trying to, they were doing what Dundas did. They were trying to compromise. They're trying to say, well, let's change the names of some streets, but let's not go too far and upset the monarchists. So we're not going to change the name of King Street or Queen Street. Or even better, uh, Sir George Young, after whom Young Street is named, the longest street in the world, was a slave owner. Not only was he a slave trader, he 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 basically captured slaves after the abolition of slave trade in, in the British Empire. And the person, my understanding is, from the reading I've done, the person who reported him to the king was a guy named Dundas. Wow. So... This I did not. Complex. I did not know that. This is complex. This is complex. Number one, it's complex. Number two, um, uh, I I would say this. I I grew up in Toronto, as I mentioned. I grew up at the corner of Vaughan Road and Humewood. Vaughan was a slave owner. Humewood is named after William Hume Blake, who was an abolitionist. So I literally grew up at the intersection of. I say of abolition and slavery. Um, my neighbor was a very kindly old man who was a, a, a tailor. And I remember as a kid moving in, uh, my mother sent me next door to get some pants hemmed. And when he rolled up his sleeves to, to sew my pants, he revealed numbers that were tattooed on his wrist. He was a camp survivor, a Holocaust survivor. The people who lived across the street were from a First Nations band that owned the property so all of us in that community in that those four corners had some trauma personal or otherwise or historic or ancestral but we didn't let that get in the way of doing what we needed to do to live happy fulfilled uh lives so our our history is complex our personal lives are complex uh and sometimes difficult but $21 million is a, is a rep represents misguided spending and, and, and uh, misguided priority and wasteful spending. Absolutely. Uh, Philip, I've been hogging the mic all night. You go ahead. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, uh, <clears throat> you know, Rob, we got to get off a, a political podcast again on an interesting uh, stories podcast, because <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on in uh in these last 30 minutes. And uh, I'm also yep. curious, I mean, actually, I'm very happy to have heard some of your, uh, your city councilor days, because I had, uh, you know, read up on that. And, and I was very curious about it, sort of, 
you know, what feels different, I want to say, it's not it's not directly related to your mayoral uh, right. run right now. Right. I'm so curious about about you being a city councilor and how how the city might feel different between now and 20 years ago, or I guess a little more than 20 years ago now, 25 well, when I got years elected, ago now. Thir- I hate to say it, it was 32 years ago that I first got elected. Um, things are different. I, I think Toronto's a little bit more sophisticated. I think people are um, a little kinder. I think people are a little more understanding. There, there's more diversity. You know, um, I hate to sound like one of those old codgers. You know, when I was growing up, I had to go uphill to school uh, both ways, you know, uphill. Um, uh, I'll say this, uh, Toronto, um, is more diverse. Uh, there are more people with really interesting backgrounds. There's an expertise out there. Toronto's more technological. So, you know, I was at a a tech TO event, uh, last week, um, which was amazing. Diverse crowd of, of founders of companies who are, coders and engineers and 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 business guys and investors i mean i learned a hell of a lot um so toronto's different i think i i think it's suffice to say it's a little more sophisticated we have more people going to university now than we did back then we have more people who are coming from other countries and bringing their expertise and knowledge and and knowledge of uh, and i also think toronto's torontonians are more well traveled than they were 30 years ago so if you talk about best practices, um, people will know what you're talking about. So if I talk about something they're doing in Germany, there'll be a cadre of Canadians or Torontonians will say, oh yeah, I saw that when I was in Berlin, or I saw that when I was in France, or um, or I agree with the, the, the way in which they're dealing with um, traffic in Bolivia. Uh, so, so, and I'm, I'm making those, you know, those are just examples. So I think that's the difference. I think the public is uh, a little more sophisticated. The counselors are a little more sophisticated. The, uh, the staff are professional, but, but, but it's also really super big. Like the, 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 I think the counselors are, have become a bit detached from, from voters because the wards are the size of a provincial or federal riding. Um, you know, your counselor is dealing with everything from fallen trees to sewer backups to traffic to to crosswalks to the environment, lake water quality and river courses. And, and so it's 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 you you become the sharp end of the of the spear on all these big, important issues and some of these small issues. Um, so. I would say that's the big difference. And then, and then with amalgamation, you know, because you, you I was no, I was not a regional counselor. I was a local counselor. All of a sudden amalgamation, you're, you've got policing and housing and welfare and or Ontario works as we now call it. And um, uh, what's another one? Uh, policing, housing, public health, like all of a sudden um, you've got all of these really big social issues that you have to handle in it. And it's different than what, what it was when you were a, a, maybe a local city councilor. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm so fascinated, especially with like the, the shift between pre-amalgamated and to current Toronto. Right. Um, although I do have 
I was going to ask you what I thought was a cheesy question, which was... That's, there are no cheesy um, questions. Oh, this is absolutely a cheesy question. So I think I, I might... I'll, I'll get to what I was going to say, but I might still sidestep it. At at the TechTO thing, which I did see that you were there, um, I was going to ask you if there was anyone there that you were impressed by, but I actually... I don't want you to give me that answer because you're all competing for the number one spot. So I... I don't want to put that on. Well, I was impressed. No, it's okay. I was impressed. I was impressed by Bradford. I think he gave a great speech. Um, I was impressed by uh, Mitzi Hunter. Gil Penaloza, um, very interesting man. I, I look um, again. I, I, I said earlier. I think. I think most of the candidates, and I think City Council is well intentioned. So I, I, uh, what you guys don't know, I haven't released the video yet. So you're, you're hearing it here first. The other day we went out to uh, with the sign and we put it on an easel next to Dundas Street on the sidewalk. And uh, uh, I put it by a pothole and there were cars going over the potholes. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. So I'm recording this video, um, but it was raining and I'm standing there talking. And all of a sudden this Jeep comes by, hits the pothole and it splashes all over me. And um you know, I, I look in a camera and I said, you know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I know councils at well intentioned, but they're not even paving Dundas Street. You know, I just got splashed. Um, so I think they all have good intentions. I just think I just think like, like with the sign issue, I think people were well intentioned. They wanted to do well by the community. I just think they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do well by the community. And they fell prey to maybe an emotional urge, and emotions are fine, um, to do something. But $21 million, the city council is a billion dollars short. They've had to raise raid reserves by a billion dollars. And it's it's just not right. And if I could find $21 million, uh, when I'm mayor, I'm going to be able to find hundreds of millions of dollars of, of, of spending that could either be deployed for the services that we want or to reduce the burden on taxpayers. I'm glad you said that because the next thing I wanted to talk about was the TTC, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, in addition to the, the, the violence, you know, we have now um, issues, funding issues. We have uh, uh, service cuts. We have all <coughs> these issues. Meanwhile, during the last election, the CEO got a 21% increase. And again, I go back to the Sunshine list that was just released. And he is the number one uh, uh, on the list. He makes double, actually more than double, the mayor's salary, which is ludicrous. Right. And and I, I, I got to ask, um, is, is there any way that, any of the candidates, well, I'm asking you, so uh, yeah, to uh, get rid of him. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to be so blunt, but well, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So I, I think I think it all starts at the top. I think it starts with the board itself, and I don't know what their contractual obligation was to him, but I'm going to say this: um, if I'm elected mayor, nobody will be getting a 21 percent pay hike. Nobody. Like period, nobody. So the the question is, 
you know, why, you know, why did he get a 21% increase? Um, I, I think it's important not to do what maybe Councillor Josh Matlow did, which is uh, lambasting uh, staff members publicly. Um, so without um, um, getting into what he's getting paid specifically, I could say generally there'd be nobody. I mean, this this happened when I was a this happened when I was a counselor. I I got um, uh, censured back in the '90s because a person, a senior person, was going to get a twenty percent or eighteen percent retroactive raise in the old city of York, and I blew the whistle because I said it's not fair. At the time, you know, we were negotiating with our unions to give them three and four percent. And yet here we had a person who was going to get an 18% retroactive raise. And I didn't think it was right. I don't think that those frontline workers deserve to have their wages pushed down or to be have management. The same the same guy who's got to negotiate with our ATU uh, 113, our Amalgamated Transit Union, how's he going to, in good conscience, um, negotiate you know, a fair and reasonable wage and compensation contract when he got a 21% pay hike. So I, I, I think I think this is an example of where I think um, um, council has lost its way. Again, I think when they're negotiating these contracts, I think they just, they, they may forget about um, the public perception. But as my mother used to say, don't do anything that you don't wanna see on the front page of the newspaper. And I think in this case, they didn't realize their decision on compensation was going to be on the front page of the newspaper. And um, I would simply say that I'm, I'm going to make sure that, you know, nobody gets pay hikes like that. The, uh, the, the wages are going to be fair. Um, the fact that he makes twice as much as the mayor doesn't bother me. Um, uh, the responsibility of basically running, uh, getting a million people to work every day and a, and a million, you know, and, and home. Um, is a big one. We, recognizing we're also competing in the marketplace. So um, if we're not paying that, then we're not getting good people. They're going to go off to to New York and Seattle and Chicago and other places and Montreal. So we also have to recognize that we're competing. Um, so I, I don't know if his pay was tied to uh, a performance issue, if it was tied to... Um, uh, somebody else's pay, but I got to tell you, you know, a $482 million shortfall in 2022 is, is a big deal. And it's not one where you could normally afford to give the CEO a big pay hike in the private sector. That wouldn't happen. I had no idea that you were uh, censured as a counselor. And I feel like that, that sort of sounds like a, a similar situation that has happened. So I feel like I can, uh, I can safely ask about it. So, and to be clear, I'm not asking about the mayoral candidate. I'm asking about the city councilor, uh, Josh Matlow, who recently right. uh, was under a uh, integrity commissioner yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, you you know what that's all about, right? Yeah, yeah. He he mentioned the name of uh, some staff members or or complained about staff members in a way that they could be identified by their by their name, and and they ended up suffering some some 
backlash from the community. So it, look, on, on the Matlow situation, not having read the full report, but understanding the broad strokes, you know, I think he should have been reprimanded. I'm not sure that 10 days pay was the right reprimand. In, in Brampton, uh, a regional councillor was accused of sexually harassing a woman. And in another instance, it, the accusation, uh, unfound, uh, un, uh, an allegation unproven in court, um, he was alleged to have sexually assaulted her. They gave him a 90-day um, suspension of pay. Um, yeah, pretty pretty big because they couldn't fire him because the act doesn't allow it. So, you know, these are tough things. These are judgment calls. Um, you you don't you you don't um, publicly assail staff. Um, you can ask hard questions without publicly going after them. And and maybe to many people, his style is a little um, a little abrasive. But but I believe um, again. Um, there's there are ways of holding staff accountable, um, uh, but Twitter is not the form, uh, the forum, uh, uh, nor is Instagram, nor is Facebook, and definitely not TikTok. Those are not the fora uh, in which one, as a counselor, a responsible. Remember, counselors are employers; they're not employees. So, a responsible employer does not talk about their staff or the performance of their staff on social media. I think that's well put and uh moving along you know yeah we're gonna try to ask every council or every candidate excuse me this question okay. and that is sure um have you made a decision will you commit to not using the strong mayor powers or not yeah so that's that's a great question i i've committed to using the strong mayor powers i i think it's important that if we have want to have a strong city we need to have a, a strong mayor who will judiciously use those powers. So I'm I'm going to commit to using the powers, but I commit to you that I'm not going to use them in a frivolous manner. Um, I, I think there's a lot more that we can do vis-a-vis -vis housing um, because let's say it, let's, and, and the budget, because let's be honest, I, I think where the premier is coming from and the provincial government is coming from is, you know, the councillor is elected in, in their ward, but the mayor is elected in all 25 wards. The mayor has to have some degree of accountability and should have more than one vote. And it, it makes some sense that that the mayor should have some authority, whether it, it, it should be in the form of the current system. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure, but I definitely think that that the mayor should have um, powers that allow him or her uh, to achieve the policy goals that they promised to the taxpayers that the taxpayers and the voters have voted for so you know i'm going to use the powers i'm going to use them judiciously but i'm going to make sure that we do things and we do them right and i'm going to be responsible with them and i'm going to make sure that we don't um, spend more than we need to but i'm also going to make sure that the priorities are the priorities that are going to propel the city forward Okay, so another question we like to ask is your sure. position on the gardener, tear it down, rebuild it, some sort of re a hybrid, whatever. Re what, re rebuild it, rebuild it. Look, it's it's a road that we use. Um, it's a high capacity road <clears throat> that takes traffic off 
the lake shore and takes traffic off the streets. Um, you know, France has the peripherique. They have a ring road. Um, the Gardner is part of our ring road, right? If you want to go around the city, uh, with the exception of Scarborough, um, you go up up the Don Valley Parkway, uh, along the 401, down the 427, and along the, the Gardner Expressway and the, and the QEW. We need it. We need it to be able to move people and goods. And all of those fruits and vegetables that I buy um, and clothing uh, at stores, they have to get there somehow. And they get there by truck um, and van and deliveries have to be made and we need to move traffic. However, however, um, we can be smart about how we move people in the city. We can synchronize traffic lights so that we're not always hitting a red light. We can make it so that um, we have our subway safe so people will be off the roads and they'll take transit. You know, 60 or 70% of transit riders are choice riders. They have a car, but they choose to take TTC usually for convenience and cost, right? They don't want to pay $30 a day to park in downtown Toronto, but for safety reasons, they're, they're driving. So our transportation system and our congestion is not simply just the result of there being more cars or the gardener not being the best way to move people. Sometimes there are social causes for there to be congestion and, and, and TTC violence is one of them. That's a good point. And um, I guess I would be remiss uh, not to ask, um, even though technically I guess it's under the purview of the Ontario government, what's your position on Ontario Place? What should happen with it? Well, I, I'm, I don't think Ontario Place should be, um, I don't think the most expensive waterfront property should be um, the be turned over for back rubs and for many petties. Um, I think it should be um, kept in public hands 100%. I think we should look for really good uses to that property. I think um, I think the government's making a mistake uh, in terms of handing over any amount of hectares or acreage for Thermae Spa. Um, I think um, I, I think it's just short-sighted. Uh, that being said, I mean, it is a provincial purview. We have the right, uh, we have, you know, some rights and obligations under the Planning Act. That won't stop the um, the province from possibly stepping in and, and shoehorning uh, their idea in, into the process. But again, um, I would say, you know, there are 25 MPPs. Uh, many of them are, I think 12 of them are, our Ontario PC party members of provincial parliament and members of the public have every right to contact their MPPs and tell them that they agree or disagree with the idea. So, you know, I, I would say it's important that the city takes a stand, but it's also important that individuals take a stand if they, if they don't want it and they have to speak up. Absolutely. Philip, you thought of your question yet? I feel like I'm just, I'm so, no, I haven't thought of the question yet, but I'm just, I'm still so curious about, again, we don't need to get all into it. But... No, no, go ahead. Hey, if you're curious, so are your listeners. Go ahead. 
I mean, so it's kind of it's going back to the the Josh Matlow commission commission the integrity. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That report. So, uh, and the reason why I like I come back to it is because I I do think that there's is more to it than just um, because I feel like. Sorry, I, I realize I'm I'm trying to figure out how I want oh, to okay. get this okay. around to you because maybe, maybe, um it's yeah go because I, I feel like it's a question of of trust in city staff which I feel like that's the basis of what the the issue was where right. um where Josh Matlow was specifically complaining because he got he got information from staff regarding um you know the last election I feel like there was a lot of talk about the the parks the washrooms you know not being properly maintained and opened and stuff right and that was a big part of that of this complaint of the the city staff giving information saying that you know these park bathrooms were opened when they weren't so it was bad information so i i i feel like it's a question of city staff giving bad information i i just i feel like it's deeper than like simply uh matt Lau kind of publicly right. uh, so let, so let, them. right so let's let's talk about this and, and i think this is really important because this goes to uh to character okay if i were in the position of mr of of josh uh, matt Lau, um there are other uh opportunities and fora under which i could complain about a staff member that don't include the words twitter uh, Facebook or Insta. Okay. Uh, he has the right to ask for an agenda item to be included as a counselor in camera to talk about the report. So at an in-camera session of council, he could have said, look, folks, I've got uh, X, Y uh, number of residents who have photographic evidence that says, you know, public bathrooms weren't open. We have a staff report saying they were. Now, the question is, uh, did that senior staff member writing the report, did she personally go out and ensure that those bathrooms were open? Or did she have people reporting to her that may have fed her the wrong information? I, I just want you to understand it's, it, it may be more complex than simply um, a senior person who's reporting at city council is not necessarily inspecting bathrooms from Scarborough to Etobicoke and from the lake all the way up to North York at Steeles. But they are relying on their the people reporting them, to them to report honestly and give the right information. Um, so uh, that's not to say that he was wrong in trying to hold staff accountable, but the way in which you do it is not that way. Um, and, and here we are in the spring of 2023. Um, if he wanted to, he could say, hey, citizens of Toronto, I want you to send me pictures of the park bathrooms. They're supposed to be open by date X. If they're not, I want you to send me a picture. I want you to give me a video. I want you to provide me with the evidence that I need to be able to show the other members of council that our staff um, may not be providing us with all of the right information, or he can take that information and then present it at an in-camera meeting of council. Because anytime 
you're talking about an individual and identifiable member of staff, you go in camera. And the reason you go in camera is because those staff members could sue that counselor. And there's only one person who pays for that. And that's not the counselor. It's the city. It's the taxpayers. So if you have a lawsuit, because because city councilors are the employers, they represent you as taxpayers, as the employer. So there are some issues or HR issues or lit litigation issues. These, these, these can be very expensive. And it happens from time to time that counselors are sued by staff for all sorts of terrible things. And it's the taxpayers who pay that bill, not the counselors. So in this case, the, the it seems to me the integrity commissioner um, recommended a suspension of pay and then council endorsed that recommendation, okay? But it, it, again, it, it doesn't mean that he was wrong about whether the bathrooms were open, but the way in which he went about sort of politically organizing that uh, meant that some staff members got hurt. So, and that that all makes sense to me. I, I feel like my frustration comes down to um, it. It feels like it's a multi multi layered issue, right. where it it starts. The bottom layer is I want to say it's Matt Lau, um, let's say inappropriately calling out the issue, which is getting bad information. And then the next level above that is is the bad information itself, which is again, it, it could happen. It could be a mistake. It could be all that other yeah, stuff. I, I, I'll say I've, that's not even. Yeah, I've I've seen that. I've seen bad information, and and you don't so name that's, staff. Yeah, that's not even like the that's not even the most pressing thing. And then on top of that, you know, after all of that, it still feels it almost feels like this punishment of Matt Lau almost ignores the fact that the city did seem to fail to get the the bathrooms and the parks you know functioning right. and open and all that right. stuff so it, it does that again i'm not i'm not like <laughs> cornering you for like an explanation or anything I'm no, just, no no uh, i'm just phrasing my like levels of frustration with this like where this like integrity commissioner complaint even goes right. you know where but, it's like but, at let, the bottom, but also let, but let me say this about about that the mayor of Toronto could have also gone to Josh Matlow and helped to negotiate a way in which his concerns could be addressed. You know, leadership's not just about, you know, what I do for myself as a political, um, as a political entity. It's also about how you interact with the other members of council and whether they, and I don't know whether the mayor, uh, John Tory approached Josh Matlow and said, listen, um, you're doing this the wrong way. If you want to get to the bottom of this, this is what I recommend. Um, I don't know if that conversation ever happened. I, I, I can say this, though, that, you know, a lot of members of council um, agreed with the integrity commissioner report. They agreed with the integrity commissioner. They disagreed with Josh Matlow's approach. And, you know, unfortunately for him, he's suffering. But let me ask you this, though. Um, and I think this is an important question. Um, Josh Matlow is a city councillor. Uh, Brad Bradford's a city councillor. Um, uh, Mitzi Hunter is an MPP. Um, and they're all running for mayor of Toronto. Um, but they're still taking their paycheck, not necessarily doing their job as a city councillor. And they have all of their staff possibly or potentially helping them on their run for mayor. I, I would argue um, they should all be taking a leave of absence and turning back their pay to the taxpayers 
of Toronto while they're on this 84 day odyssey to become the mayor of Toronto. I wholeheartedly I will agree. Say, I, I do agree with you on the councillor front. Mitzi does have to resign her seat to run. No, so no, she does not yet. Not till May 12th. I know she hasn't, she hasn't done it yet, but I mean, just she is that is that has to happen for her. No, I, no, she she doesn't have to resign until May twelfth. So she could run. I, I, she can run I this think entire this is just time. A semantics different. No, no, yeah, it's yeah. not. Sem- it's not actually semantics. Well, our, our, respectfully, it's not semantics. She could run until May twelfth and then drop out of the race for mayor. But in the meantime, she spent sure. you know a month and 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 nine days not being an MPP, but being a candidate for mayor. And I'm sure. simply suggesting that if you're going to, you're either in or you're out, right? In, in for a penny, in for a pound. I agree. And as mayor, is there any policies or anything like that that you can change so that misdirection or lying, whatever you want to phrase what we were just talking about, however you want to phrase it, is there policies that can be changed um, if you become mayor? that will make it easier for this to be called out it, whether the person was lying or the the report was uh falsified I, i'm right. not i'm not i'm not saying that it was well, right i'm just, I'm just well, saying she, are there remember the person the, per, can be? the person identified could have been misled by her own staff correct so all of that falls under the, we have a thing in in business we have a thing in in the public sector called an annual review, right? So uh, in, in as mayor, all staff would be subject to an annual review. It doesn't always happen in a lot of organizations. They don't necessarily get managed. Um, so under in a Rob Davis, uh, in a Rob Davis government, a Rob Davis regime, staff will be reviewed. They'll be reviewed by their supervising, um, by their supervisor, person who manages them. So there'll be clear expectations set. They're either going to meet, exceed, or fall short of those expectations. And it's going to be part of their annual review. And obviously, um, this would be something that would be covered under an, under an annual review. But again, it wouldn't be city councillors who would be doing that. It would be, uh, in this case, probably the city manager. So again, and, and this is where uh, God bless Josh Matlow for trying to stick up for, for voters and taxpayers. But if it's going to cost voters and taxpayers a $50,000, $100,000 lawsuit, then he's not sticking up for them. The right way of doing this is to make sure that um, you follow procedure and protocol, which would mean an in-camera discussion, possibly referring it to the city manager who would then investigate. And we do that because there are employees. I mean, you see it all the time. The employers on the news, when something happens, they say, I'm not going to comment. It involves an employee. It's internal. That person has a right to privacy. It just so happens we're, we are, we're a public agency. We're a political uh, organization. Um, so the, new, the media are there to follow and catch everything. But it still doesn't, it still doesn't diminish the rights of the senior employees and, and, and I will stand with those senior employees on those rights every single time because just because they work for a public body doesn't mean they surrender their rights to privacy in terms of, you know, 
their their personal annual review or any work issues that are going on. They have rights, and and I believe in rights. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I can't think of a better way to close the interview by giving you the floor. This is your chance to talk to directly to the listeners, which is made up of 80% on uh, Torontonians. So, oh, wonderful. Uh, the floor is yours to um, tell people why they should vote for you. And, and don't forget to um, plug your website. Go ahead, my sure. friend. The floor is yours. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. First of all, thank you so much for this time. It's been a lot of fun, but I'm not going to speak to the 80%. I'm going to speak to the 100% of people because even the people who don't live in Toronto who are listening, there are visitors and our guests, there are customers, there are, there are people who drive in and are employed by Toronto companies and help us to build a great city. So number one, I'm running because I'm passionate about the city. I, I think we have some examples of misguided priorities and wasteful spending that I'm going to fix if I'm elected. I have the experience. I have nine years experience as an elected city councilor, two years as a, a school trustee. Um, I was vice chairman of the Toronto Transit Commission. I co-chaired the city's crime prevention task force. I put in place Canada's first ever gun buyback program, which saw the removal of close to 10,000 guns from the streets of Toronto. And for those of you listening, you heard that right. 10 thousand guns so i have the skills and experience and ability and the creative know-how to help tackle uh, the most pressing issue right now which is community safety but those longer term issues of fiscal accountability and fiscal responsibility are also um, in my dna and so if you want somebody who's going to tackle those issues that come up from time to time like the influx or the increase in crime on the transit a system, then I'm your guy. But if you also care about the long-term future of the city, if you care about um, where people are going to live and how they're going to get around and what the quality of life is going to be um, in the city of Toronto, then I'm asking for your vote. My intent is to make the city safer, cleaner, and kinder. And I want to make it a better Toronto for all. Thank you very much. My website is robdavis.ca. And thank you so much for, for coming on and just hitting us with some knowledge and, uh, you know, having an honest conversation. We always love to have that. And yeah. uh, we don't always get to do that. So thank you so much for, oh, my pleasure. for coming on. My pleasure. And you guys uh, keep it going. I want to see, uh, I want to see this podcast grow uh, to a gajillion people. And then I'll, I can say, I knew you when. Once again, it was nice talking to you. Thank you so no, much. No, my pleasure, and, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Take care, gents. And that was Rob Davis. Great guy. It's it's always nice to have that honest conversation. Um, I feel like not everybody wants to have it, and then there are certain spots where maybe some won't go. You feel me? I think I'm surprised at the amount of honesty we've been able to get from people, including like Anthony Fury two weeks ago when I asked him about why he was running now and not six months ago. And I didn't, for some reason, I just figured people wouldn't want to say um, the John Tory incumbency made it hard for them to go for it. Again, I can't say that about Rob Davis because he was going for it the last election. But I, I appreciated his, he didn't his run. previous... Did he not? 
No, he did not run. We should have asked him that question. Damn it. I thought he did run. Well, that's see, that's why I didn't ask him that question, because I thought he had run. So well, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> so I wanted to go over a few names um, that have popped up in the um, in the by-election since we did okay. our, um, you know, since we did our our first press scrum, which I love. Yeah. God, it was so good. Did we go over my trip home? No. Let's do that now before I read this list. So, so for our listeners, oh, wait before we before we begin. Oh, actually, sorry. Yeah, you set it up, and before we get to the story, I do want to talk about my advocacy for the TTC. But you go ahead. So, before so okay, so before we got on, my man Phil here answered a very burning question I had, and it was this: How much is the TTC? <laughs> Now, I've got a great answer for you guys, uh, because the correct fare is 335. Matthew got on the TTC for about 285. And the trick is when you've got a lot of small coins, they don't count. That is correct. That's a fun that's a fun tip for all you TTC no, I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> all you fare evaders out there getting a couple of cents off. Just use a lot of smaller change. They don't count. Because you, you put it in too fast. They can't count. That's right. You On the bus, though, back in the day, I don't know if it still does this. Um, when you put the change in the thing, they would press the button for the change to go down. But until they press the button, the change is right in front of their face. And they could literally, if they wanted to, they could count it. Oh, and they've done it. I feel like it's it was the night bus drivers who really were like, yeah, because they'll count it. And they're coins. like, you're short, and then they'll be like, get the fuck off. <laughs> yeah, because it's night, and you're like, please, I just need to get home. So yes, I'm very well aware of that that practice. So uh, when we got on, it uh, man, in certain parts, I can say that it was like time stood still, because uh, it's exactly as I remember it. Um, I am one of those bougie motherfuckers, apparently, that wipes the seat before you sit. Um, I can't help it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I went straight for the seat, and Matt does this whole procedure, and I'm <laughs> I'm just like, hey, man, you got to do you. Um, and then it took me, so we got on at, uh, where the fuck, we got on at Queen. No newspaper yeah. there, but I did get a pop because I can't be on the a little note. It, it is because I love fucking pop. Okay. That's, that's part of it. But the other thing is like the air quality in the subway is friggin' dry. So I always have to have a drink as someone who has asthma. It's like, uh, for me, it's like a, like a safety net security blanket. I always have to have a drink. I have to have a drink. Um, because what happens if the power goes out, whatever, you know, I, I'm always in my head a lot, so I have to have a drink. They didn't have a paper though. So we got off at Young and Bloor. They have a little store there. I went and got a paper and then, uh, we got on the train and, or I got on my train going West because Phil was going East. And again, <laughs> Phil, so I wiped the seat down and then I sat and then 
I was like, good the rest of the way. You know, someone did puke on the train. I didn't. Oh my god! I, I didn't see it though. So, um, <laughs> I I'm gonna say it was puke because I don't want to believe someone. It might have been piss, but I think it was puke. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, and then I got off and and I took the uh, I took the bus home, which. I had to wait the longest for the bus, actually. 19 minutes. Um, but it's okay. Like, I've taken this bus a million times. Royal York Subway Station looks a little bit different, but whatever. It's, you know, um, like I said, it, it, some parts of it, it was, it, was as, it was as if time stood still. Um, but I didn't get killed. Not even threatened. I wasn't even approached. See, and the thing is, and I want to bring this up because I'm pretty sure I forgot to bring this up last week where uh, I felt like I was the number one advocate for the TTC to Matthew. As as a regular motorist, you know, he doesn't take the TTC. And so all he gets are, are the media stories of, uh, you know, you're getting shanked. You're riding the TTC for two seconds and you got a knife in your back. Like that's. I imagine that's sort of the image he's got going on. So I'm just saying to Matthew, you know, it's not like that. Everything's good. You know, even when the children go up to me and my brother as we're sitting on the train and they offer to sell him a knife, the TTC is still good. You know, I was but, sorry. That I is was a real hoping, story that happened, by the way. I was hoping that that was going to happen. No, <laughs> wasn't approached. Do these knife people take debit? No, that's a bad joke. Um, <laughs> no, there's no signal in the trains. <laughs> okay, so we have some new names we're going to go over. Nobody uh, nobody signed up today, so I know the names we've read already, so I'm just going to read the ones that I haven't read. Someone named Claudette Beals. I've never heard of this person. Uh, someone named Selena Caesar Chavanas. Now, I think I do know who that is. I feel like she used to be a, uh, a. I think she is a liberal MP. I think she was a Justin Trudeau cabinet member. I think something happened. I think she might be sitting as an independent now. Like I, I think there might have been an issue there, but I'm pretty sure she's a former liberal MP. Okay. Someone named Peter Hangis. Nope, no idea. Someone named so Mike. I had to come in. I had to go ahead. I had to come in hard on the one name I recognized. <clears throat> I was just like, Matthew, I know this one. Only so sort of. Nobody <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong. Someone named Michael Lamoro. Lamoru. Um Lyle Sanders. Erwin Sneedzins. I guess that's how you pronounce that. And then I'm going to butcher the last name, but the other name here is Jody Williams. And then we have Nathalie Zion Yian. Yeah, I got it. You know, I really feel like these ads that the, the city is putting up to have people run for mayor they can put those ads. They can take them away. Uh, you don't need to advertise for this position. I think everybody is aware of it. <laughs> you know? 
Here's a like, big question. Oh. There are some names missing that we've been expecting. Let's talk about that That's real true. briefly. Olivia Chow. What's going on? So, I mean, I feel like it's an interesting question because I feel like the thought is um, they're not registering is like a fear that maybe they won't. Because I, I feel like the other two names that you'll probably bring up are, and I, I think they still haven't registered, Gil Penalosa and Chloe Brown. Which is funny because, right? yes, that Tech TO thing, they participated. And they've already confirmed there's a May 6th mayoral debate. And they're confirmed. That's why I have no, no reservations about the fact that they are going to. I don't know what the reasons are for taking their time. I just, I, I don't see it as them being weird. The only, the only question I will say, as you said, is Olivia Chow, because it, it does feel a little bit more wishy-washy because she hasn't said for sure. But here's, here's. So it all feels very wishy-washy. Here's, here's the point though. How can you participate in the tech TO, which I assume <coughs> was a mayoral thing because Bradford was there and others were there. And and how can you confirm, be invited and confirm for a mayoral debate when you're not a fucking candidate technically yet? And I love Chloe Brown. I, I, I love what she stands for. She fights for the little people. I love it. And, you know, I really, really like and respect Gil Penalosa. But how are they able to participate in this stuff, in these in these events, without being a registered candidate? That's like, I have a bank account as a registered candidate, but I'm not a registered candidate. I don't understand it. See, and the thing is, all I can say is, I also, I don't understand. It's like, just, just register. Just go and do it. I don't know why you didn't do it when all the media was there. Why didn't you do it with the media scrum? You know, well, I'm not saying that just because we were there. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. I'll say, I'll say this. I, I love both of those people and they don't, they know they don't need, and they also don't need uh, 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 the media circus because they can stand and run for mayor on their own merits. And I, I'll say that much. Um, there are other people <clears throat> that need the circus without naming oh, names. True. <laughs> um, no, and I know, I know we've brought this up before, but I feel like there would only be one way in which it would actually be the funniest thing. And that is a uh, quick pit stop question. May 12th is the end date for registration, correct? Correct. May 12th. <laughs> Who walks through those? Again, to be clear, I'm not manifesting this. I'm not wishing for this. May 12th, one hour before that deadline. Who walks through those doors but John Tory himself? Oh, I'll go you one better. <laughs> Doug Ford. No, I'll go you one better. <laughs> Kathleen Wynn. They all live in Toronto. You know, actually, she, she already said no. Did she? Apparently she was asked and she said no. So <laughs> She's like, why are you people talking to me? <laughs> Ontario <laughs> liberals don't even exist anymore. Get out of my face. Yeah. yeah. I destroyed the, <laughs> the Ontario liberals. Can you see my work? Can you see it? <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to be mayor now? <laughs> Can I? 
please. So, we are going to announce a couple things coming up in the next few weeks for the municipals. In no particular order, we are going to have Giorgio Mammoliti on the show. We are going to have Anna Bailau on the show. We are going to have Josh Matlow on the show. And we are going to have Frank D'Angelo on the show. Ooh, did I know that one? Or is this uh, oh, that's I a, forget? No, that's a new one. I got that Ooh, one. Ooh, hell yeah. I got that today. I got that uh, commitment today. I've been working overtime. He's doing good. I've been working overtime. Uh, you know, this weekend was kind of rough, but uh, um, more than just what we started off at the top of the show with. Uh, it's just Easter's crazy. No one gets any sleep. The kids go nuts. Um, you know, and it's all for the kids. I love it. I just wish I had one day, one day to recover where nobody bothered me. Then I would have been fine, but it's all good. Nope, back to work. <laughs> we we know the struggle. So I thought um, if we don't have anything else, I am going to close tonight with an announcement. I have an announcement of my own, and it may be premature by a couple of years, but I'm going to announce it anyway. I'm going to be running in the federal election for Etobicoke North as an independent. Did you? Oh, did you look into that? Yes, I did. Hell yeah, boy. And it's an election that I'm fully prepared to lose because in the end, it's it's like Chloe Brown said. I have nothing to lose. I have everything to gain. That's right. And right now, our my current MP uh, for Etobicoke North is Christy Duncan. And right now, she's on medical leave. Uh, she is a member of... It, it's weird because on Wikipedia, it says she's a member of the PC party when we all know she's a liberal. And she's, she? she was a liberal cabinet minister... Until recently, she went on medical leave. She called out Justin Trudeau for something. And, uh, yeah. So, I know, like, we're not going to have an election at least for maybe a year or two or, or, like, 2025 even. Listen, things are messy. We can't can't say for sure. But when that happens, I'm going to be running. All the while, I'll still be able to do this podcast because we're going to do municipal stuff, and I'm going to try very hard not to hit any federal points at that point. You know, until we do our spinoff, the federal pals. Right? Philip will keep us straight. <laughs> keep me straight. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I really, really, I, I just, I want to engage with the people. And it's like I've told everyone from day one, I will not say anything that I don't believe in. I don't care. That's that's why, you know, ever since you broke me from the conservatives, you did it, Phil, you did it. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of, or, 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 or be associated with any party, liberal NDP or conservative or the people's joke party. I'm sorry, <laughs> people's party. 
You know how I feel. Yeah, like the I Maxine Bernier tantrum party. A joke fest. I'm not going to yeah. be a part of the Green Party, which is no disrespect to Mark Schreiner or or whoever's running it these days. Um, he's running the provincial one, I think. Oh, whatever. Anyway, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the provincial leader. I'm always going to say what I want. I'm never going to be muzzled. I'm never going to be forced to vote the way the party wants me to vote. I'm going to do what my constituents want me to do. Um, I'm always going to be for the people. I'm always going to call out bullshit. I may have to, you know, dull my tongue and not say fuck so often, but, you know, I can do that. Working on it. (laughs) Work in progress. So that's what my big announcement is going to be. I'm going to run as an independent and I'm fully prepared to lose because in the end, I have nothing to lose. And everything to gain. Hell yeah, boy. Talk <laughs> about your director of communications here, baby. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's all <laughs> about building the right team. So there's that. Do we have anything else we want to touch on? Anything that's happened during uh, this last week? Oh, there is a couple of things. Now, I hate beating this dead horse, but I can't help myself. Listen, we love to be the dead horse. It's therapeutic. It's relaxing. What do you think about Blake Acton's pledge to donate the entire first year of his mayoral salary to any Toronto charity if he wins? Which we know he's not going to well, win. He, <laughs> you're right. We shouldn't talk about this because he's not going <laughs> to win. On the other hand, anyone who can afford to do that is already you know, clearly independently wealthy enough that I don't care where their money goes. And I don't see that as a great, you know, heroic task. Cause if you, I mean, I guess that's sort of the thing with charity. If you can afford to give it, it's not very charitable. Does that make sense? Is that weird? No, no, you make, you make sense. But if he's, if that's like a whole year's <laughs> salary that he's just giving up, that just has to be that he has the money to give up. You know what I mean? That's just, uh, I just think it's a silly man doing silly things. That's well put. What do you think about... Uh, I never asked you what you thought about uh, Rob Davis. He said... Uh, I mean, I was trying to get in... I did the research that I was talking about. So I did the research, and there's quite a few officers making $300,000 plus this past year. So I assume, I have to assume, because I don't know for sure, but I have to assume that part of part of part of that money is overtime, double overtime, yeah, or whatever to, the fuck it is. I'd like to know, and really I guess we should have asked him about like if he knows anything <clears throat> about that that pay structure, because like for example, you know, when they had the cops on the TTC, and we can call that a stunt because they were just there for three months. Nothing changed, and then they were done. So that's a stunt. Okay, yeah, because we don't understand the structure of how overtime works. And in fact, because they announced it, when they announced the police on the TTC, it was it would all be overtime. And I, I think I said it on our podcast, where I wasn't sure if, why couldn't that just be their shifts? You know, like the regular salaried shifts. Why did it have to be overtime? 
And I think the answer is they don't have enough police officers because the because they don't have the money to hire more police officers because the existing police officers are double dipping. And instead of I, I don't know what a normal police week is. I don't know if it's 40 hours or 60 hours, but these motherfuckers are logging 120 hours a week, maybe 100 hours a week, something because all listen all that money and yeah yeah they didn't Don't they have like the construction site duties too like where they're i assume it's there i i assume it's everything all that is double double overtime or or overtime or however it works i'd love to know how it works and i'd love to know if toronto city council can force apparently we can't according to rob davis but force (laughs) force the the Toronto police to cut out overtime. I don't know if overtime is mandatory or it's optional, cut it out completely. That's going to save millions, millions, millions of dollars. You can take a little bit of that, hire more police officers, keeping them at their regular hours, no overtime and take the rest of that extra money. Plus the money for scrapping the mounted unit. And give all those horses oh, yeah. to the I, zoo. And I think take... we both agree with that, that the mounted unit is pretty wasteful. Ha- have you ever seen anyone get arrested with a cop on a fucking horse? <laughs> I listen, anybody within the sound of my voice, if you're a listener, if you're a candidate in this election, whomever you are in, in any country in the world, if you can hear me right now, if you've ever seen somebody get arrested by a cop on a horse <laughs> i want you to write into the municipals pod at yahoo.com i need that story and i will read it on the air i have to hear that story what do you think about that phil i think well yes a first of all absolutely i want to hear about horse cops and i assume uh those stories like have to be good if they exist it would be more embarrassing than getting <laughs> arrested by a cop on a bicycle. You know, have you, have you, do you know who Jeff Dunham is? Is he the, um, the ventriloquist? The yes. Yeah. 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 So I know who you're he's, about. he's my favorite puppet of his is the old, uh, crummy guy, Walter. And he, he, one of his, um, specials he mentions cops on bikes and then walter goes have you ever been uh have you ever been uh pulled over by uh, sorry he he's he, he he inferred that the sound that the cop makes uh when pulling someone over that is driving a car like a cop on a bike pulling someone over in a car ching ching uh, he made the bell sound like ching ching like does that sound uh like uh you know um What's the word I'm looking for? Does that sound uh, uh, intimidating to you? And then he get and then and then and then Walter goes. What happens if he gets arrested? Okay, right in the basket. Oh, bike cops, all cops. <laughs> no, I feel but, like that's like my slogan. Oh, cops. There's gotta be a story anywhere in this world by somebody who has either been arrested by a cop on a horse. 
or have witnessed one, and I want to know that person. So again, the email address is themunicipalspod at yahoo.com. You can find us on Twitter at the underscore municipals. Find us, tag us, let us know the story. We'll read it. Well, not live on the air because fuck, we're taped, but we'll read it on the air and you'll hear it on a future episode that I can promise you. <sighs> Do we have anything else, Philip? No, I think I think we've got it covered for today. Awesome. Well, in that case, uh, you know, thank you guys for listening. We always love listener feedback. We're available for listener feedback, criticism, whatever you guys got. Uh, no hate tweets, please. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's it for here for us today. So for Phil and for Rob and everyone else. Thank you guys. And uh, we will see you next time. Next. uh, Well, fuck it. Next week. Goodbye. (laughs) This is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote. Can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it. And two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to uphold. Well,